A reading from the letter to the Ephesians. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. The reading is from Luke chapter 11. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. So I say to you, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Father, we do indeed pray that you would speak to us this morning, that our hearts would be open to hear your words. Come, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you know how it is. Your child is in need, and all you want to do is to help. You instinctively want them to succeed and do well. You want your toddler to be musical and creative. You want school children to be doing their homework, to be scholars, to be top of the class, to be good at games. And you want them to find fantastic partners, get good jobs. But in life, it simply doesn't work that way, does it? Toddlers make an awful lot of mess before they work out that the paint needs to go on the paper. And teachers, I'm sure those of you who are teachers among us, will say that it does the children no good at all if parents are too interfering with homework. They can spot it a mile off. And it actually doesn't help the children because in order to learn and grow... They need to fall down sometimes. They need to make those mistakes. They need to understand where they're going wrong. And I'm having to learn, it has to be said, to let my older two go a little at the moment. And I'll be honest, I'm really struggling with it. Your instinct, isn't it, is to wrap your children in cotton wool and keep them away from the bad people. Or truth be told with mine, I don't want them mixing with any people. I don't know, let's be honest. (laughs) They need to leave home. They need to spread their wings. And they need to learn. 
And they possibly need to make some horrible mistakes on the way in order to learn how to stand on their own two feet. As their mother, I'd rather they stayed in their bedrooms and ate all their meals with us. But parenting is not like that, is it? It's not about giving everything always. So I wonder, why is it then that we expect God to answer all our prayers immediately and just as we want him to? Why is it that we think we know better than God and we're quite capable of running our own lives without too much much reference to the Holy Spirit? I wonder if any of you have seen the recent adaptation of Wolf Hall. I got absolutely addicted. It's a BBC period drama, and it tells the story of the rise and fall of Thomas Cromwell as he deals with life in Henry VIII's court. The themes covered are rich and contemporary, power, nonconformity, the fear of alien religious forces, and how those in authority want control. Henry's story is well known, and at the risk of complex history being reduced to a few short sentences, and apologies to Joe and any other historians here, he wants a son at any cost, even if he has to divorce and murder in order to get one. Wolf Hall explores the mutual exploitation of power. Henry uses Cromwell as he himself is used. There is no rest from striving for the security for which he longs. But as we look at that history, perhaps we can look at ourselves as well. Do we want control of our lives without reference to the one who created us? How often do we forget to ask and seek the will of the one who has loved us and known us since before we were born? who says he has our names written on the palm of his hand. The story of Henry VIII and his thirst for power and controls plays out against the story of Jesus, who surrendered power and control, whose death subverts human power and wisdom, and then who calls us to live according to that pattern. So what do our Bible readings say about all this? I've got a few slides before we go into the Bible readings that might illustrate perspective. Isn't that an interesting... That that is taken by a Japanese photographer and it's 360 degrees looking up and it completely changes your perspective on, on it, doesn't it? I think that's a fascinating photo. Can I have the next one, please? This one. (laughs) I thought this is brilliant. This is a really stable house, but an artist has painted it and uh, put an installation so that it looks like it's falling to pieces. Have the next one, please. This one. (laughs) This is, again, a a Japanese artist who has um, painted this amazing picture. Isn't it incredible? But it's, it's all about our perspective. Is there one more, or is that it? One more. Yeah. Can you see the sea is kind of merged with the sky there? It's, that's another one by the Japanese artist who um, takes photographs in 360 degrees. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, I think he's got some amazing images. Thank you, Martin. 
So as we go into the Bible readings, it's worth having them open from in front of you so that you can have a look. I'm going to start in Ephesians 5, 15 to 20, which on your, your Bibles, if you've got them, is page 1176, or it's uh, printed on the service sheet. Our world is full of substitutes for the real thing, and it's easy to be fooled. Just think of those perspectives with the house sliding down and the wave coming over. We want good jobs, we want nice houses. And these things of themselves are not bad at all. But these passages are calling us to change our perspective, to look at it slightly different, and to have a perspective that is informed by Jesus, the servant king, the one who gave everything for us. He is our model. We need a perspective that allows God to be God, Father, mother, gentle carer, beloved companion, powerful creator. A perspective that knows God is on our side, even when we can't see answers to our prayers. And life feels like we're walking through treacle. We need a perspective that keeps us close to God, even when it hurts, knowing that he will answer our prayers. God loves to give us good gifts. It's just amazing, isn't it, that this incredible creator wants to be involved in our lives and wants to give us lovely stuff. He's asking us to be direct. He's asking for what we need, sorry, and to ask for what we need. But nothing is as important as a relationship with Christ. Houses, jobs, and all we wish for can never make up for the gift of the Holy Spirit. When the passage talks about the days being evil, and later in Luke where it says we are evil, it's talking about our tendency to go with the world, to be part of the society that idolizes wealth and beauty and intellect and forgets in its desperation to conform and buy things that being filled with the Spirit is the most important goal and all else is secondary. These passengers passages are calling us to be different. So what is this new perspective? When we allow God in, and that is what these passages are asking of us, we can worship with hearts flowing with thankfulness for all Jesus has done for us. Look at verse 20. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. Paul tells us that giving thanks for everything is a great place to start. Of course, we need to be real too. I have a friend who came out of church, not this church of course, to find her tyre had gone flat. Some smart aleck walking past from the church quoted this particular verse at her and went on without stopping to help her change her wheel. That person really wasn't helping. He probably deserved to get run over on the next road. He had lost sight of how to be true and authentic and missed a real opportunity to build relationship. That isn't what Paul is talking about. He's talking about looking and seeing all that God has given us and being grateful. And this is part of our calling as Christians to refuse to get drawn into constant complaining, thinking we're hard done by. But we can offer a different perspective of gratitude. I saw this when I was on placement in Aylesbury Young Offenders Institute. I was so taken aback one morning 
um, when I was asked to pray with this young offender. He was a dangerous man. He, I wouldn't have wanted to be alone with him. But I was, I was taken aback when he prayed, and he prayed in such gratitude for the sun rising and the air that he breathed and for his life and all that God was doing. And I'd never heard any other Christian pray like that. That man was incarcerated, and yet his prayer was so free and so full of God. We are called to be different, part of the world, but not shaped by it. This is all very well, but if you're like me, you're sitting there thinking, how? How can we be thankful all the time? Actually, Paul does address this, verse 18, instead be filled with the Spirit. Paul is explaining that the way to a heart that is thankful is through being filled with the Holy Spirit. And he goes on, speak to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Paul has got hold of a fundamental truth here. The more we worship, the closer we become to God. And the more we understand the perspective of the Holy Spirit. We don't want any substitutes for God, but the real thing. Worship then flows from a heart full of thankfulness to God for what he's done in Jesus. So we're in the world, but not of the world. And this requires time in God's presence. Luke gives us um, Jesus' perspective on the same theme. It's Luke chapter 11, verses 9 to 13, and it's page 1042. This teaching of Jesus comes straight after the giving of the Lord's Prayer and after Jesus telling us to address God in intimate terms as our daddy. And then there's a parable that asks us to keep going with our requests to God. It couldn't be clearer. Jesus is inviting us to approach God with love and confidence and to keep asking I think where we often fall down is where we forget who's in charge. We expect a yes. And the answer, if the answer is no, or wait, or maybe, or if the answer is unclear, how often do we just simply give up or get upset? Jesus gives us guidance and sees prayer as asking first for the Holy Spirit. He understands that relationship with God is the most important thing. When I was in Nairobi and stressing about one of my children's, children's choices about exams and that would have the impact that was going to have on his future job and university, I was taken aback by one of the American missionaries I was staying with. He was an absolute no-nonsense guy. He asked me if Alex knew the Lord and had made a commitment to him. When I said yes... John said in a pretty forthright way, so, what's your problem? Jesus got it, has got it. That kind of faith was a surprise to me and a wake-up call. I still worry about them all. And this has been our weekend for choosing GCSE options yet again for the third time. And I got no less stressed this time, to be honest. And, but ultimately, I do know, as John would put it, Jesus has it. There are no substitutes for knowing that Jesus is in control. 
Of course God gives us good things because he loves us and cares for us. And what parent doesn't want to see their child happy? But we shouldn't always expect a yes. Yes is only one answer of several. And the best way to start, we are told, is to ask for the Holy Spirit. The underlying message is about total dependency on God. I did say that, total dependency on God. We can trust him to give us only what is good. And with that dependency comes an attitude of expectancy. How do you say that? Expectancy. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) Don't doubt the Spirit. We need to be expectant that the Holy Spirit is interested and involved in our lives. We should look for answers to prayer because God always answers. Ask, 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 and then ask again. Have you ever heard a parent asking their, uh, sorry, a toddler asking their parent for something? Do they stop if they don't get an answer? Most people will have been driven to distraction by a toddler in a shop asking for something again and again and again. That persistence is what we need to go for. If the whole church asked for the Holy Spirit today, who knows what would happen? All I can tell you is that it would be incredible. Jesus knows we will get it wrong. Of course we will. I think I can protect my adult children from the world. Henry VIII thought he could do as he liked without reference to the Holy Spirit. Jesus names it as evil. There's no mincing of words. Taking control of the world and ourselves is not part of God's plan because as the story of Henry shows us, it leads to untold suffering and pain. In all things, we need to refer in prayer to God. Luke sees the gift of the Holy Spirit as the highest good. All we have to do is ask and keep on asking. Look again at the passage in Luke 11, verse 9. Ask, seek, knock. All these verbs are continuous. Jesus is not speaking here of a single activity, but is stressing that we persist and that we should be willing to throw ourselves on his extravagant relentless, abundant love. I'm going to finish now, but I want to leave a few minutes silence for each of us to ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to remind us of that first passage in the Luke reading. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Come, Holy Spirit.